0: Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death.
1: to Mort Mike a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying I'm Jem and I'm Red and this week we're going to crack open a cold one (laughs) so this week we wanted to keep things super chill we wanted to kick back relax we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects one of my favorite things to do the autopsy Um, So this episode is going to be more gem heavy. Um, I'm going to be doing most of the talking, but Red is definitely going to, you know, have some things to say uh, herself about autopsy and how how autopsies make her feel, because I know that everyone loves autopsies.
0: Definitely. And then you're going to get a taste (laughs) of the same medicine next week when you have to listen to me drone on about embalming.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I'll be the little student not knowing what's going on in the corner. (laughs) So, like we talked about before in our Death Care 101 episode, autopsies are the evisceration of a corpse, cadaver, dead body, however you want to say it. These autopsies will help determine the cause of death. They are often pathological, so that means that we are studying the diseases within the body, we're studying the extent of care. So there's really two kinds of autopsies that we deal with today in modern times. This is going to be the forensic autopsy, which, like I said, this is for a medical examiner case. We're going to determine the cause of death. And in this kind of autopsy, the medical examiner has authority over the body, has authority over the autopsy findings, has authority over pretty much everything. The other type of autopsy that we deal with is going to be the clinical autopsy, This is an autopsy that will happen in the hospital to patients whose families have requested an autopsy, and we'll talk about maybe why they would request something like that a little bit later, but this autopsy is completely different from a forensic autopsy. Instead of determining the cause of death, because we already know the cause of death, right? We already know why they were in the hospital. We're going to determine the extent and the treatment of the disease, Um, And for these autopsies, you do need family permission to do the autopsy. A random doctor can't just be like, perform this autopsy on this person. Like, no, that doesn't happen.
0: (laughs) So it's like more for educational purposes?
1: Uh, Yes, exactly. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but it's more for educational purposes, kind of understanding what the disease was and like how it affected the body. So autopsies were actually being performed in the early 19th century. Um, and autopsy was often restricted to one organ. As you can imagine, you know, these old-timey people were cutting up bodies, and they probably only were able to understand a little bit of what was going on. So say if someone died coughing up blood, maybe they would look at the lungs. Um, Maybe if someone died of jaundice, they would look at the liver. Um, So these were kind of like... Not to be crude, but they're kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> so, one of my favorite quotes in a textbook that I read was autopsies begun without a specific direction and were often concluded when the prosector, usually an untrained surgical assistant, determined the seat of disease, leaving many organs unexamined or at best given a cursory evaluation. <laughs> so, you can see the old timey autopsy is kind of something that was really looked down upon. This sort of changed with the introduction of Karl Rokotansky. And this is the father of autopsies. And that is a really fun name to say, I must say. Oh, definitely. So, Karl Rokotansky, he was around in the mid 1800s. His method of autopsy was the in situ dissection. In situ means within the tissue, within the body. So, he would literally dissect the organs inside the body while they were still in the body. And then he would would remove them in a block. And we'll talk about the block later. Um, So Rokotansky was really the first person that took the body as a whole. And during autopsy was like, we need to look at everything. We need to check out what's going on. We need to understand where the disease is going. So he's really who brought autopsy into a more research-oriented medical education environment. Another really important person that we're going to talk about is Rudolf Verkau. Uh, he was around in the late 1800s, and he's considered the founder of modern pathology. So same as Rokotansky, Verkau kind of looked at the body as a whole, and he's going to look at each organ separately. He's going to take each organ out of the body and take sections from this organ and look at the tissue under a microscope. So that's why he's the founder of modern pathology, because he was really into microscopes. That was a new technology.
0: I never knew how to pronounce his last name. So I'm really happy that you mentioned him.
1: You know, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I know that like a million people are going to tell me I'm pronouncing it wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) Don't hold me to that. Anyways, there are a couple other people notable for autopsies. Gone. He removed organs in three blocks. So three separate masses. I don't know exactly what those are, but I'm assuming it would be like heart and lungs is one block. Uh, middle organs as another block, and maybe you know bladder and intestines as another block, and then we have Latul which his method of autopsy is actually commonly used today. It's a visceral uh, and block. So we talked about the block before with Rokotansky. What the block means is that you can take out all of the organs in the body in one big connected block mass of tissue. So we start at the tongue, we cut out the tongue, right? We take out the tongue and you can literally cut along the vertebrae and just take out all of the organs in one huge like blob and they all stay together in like a human sized like mass. I really, I can't describe it any better than that, right? I don't know if you have anything better.
0: Um, Honestly, no, that's, that's pretty much it. (laughs) It's just a big old sack of goo. Yeah.
1: It is. So it's it's really cool. Every organ in your body is connected by this one single strand along your vertebrae, basically. And you can just like take it all out in one go. That's, that's the block. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Latul. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about Rokotansky. And a lot of medical examiner's offices use this method today because they do a lot of autopsies. And this method is extremely fast. You just take it out, you cut up all the organs and you're done. Um, Another important person that I wanted to mention was William Osler. He actually brought autopsies to North America uh, education system. He was a professor at McGill University in Montreal, and he was the one that advocated that autopsies are educational. Medical students should be doing autopsies to learn about the body and learn about the organs, like hands-on experience.
0: I wonder where that fits into the uh, body snatcher aspect of... Uh, history and medical science. Uh, I wonder if that was before or after that.
1: (laughs) You know, honestly, I didn't really look into it. And I know it's probably its own separate topic. But you know, back in the early 19th century, this is like overseas, not in America. um, They probably just kind of like did autopsies on whoever they wanted to. (laughs) So I, you know, those old timey people were crazy. So you know, who knows? So we already talked about the Rokotansky. Uh, autopsy, you know, the end block autopsy. And this is actually something I do not do on a regular basis. So our office does not use the Rokitansky method unless um, specific cases, like if there's a lot of adhesions. so this means the organs are stuck together, it's kind of hard to separate them out. Um, that's when you would use a Rokitansky or a modified Rokitansky. Our office uses the Verkau method, and like I said before, it's the organ-by-organ method. And honestly, this is so fun for me because I love just like anatomy and pathology, and I love being able to see each little organ separately in its own little thing. But I'm actually going to go through how exactly, step-by-step, dummy's guide to autopsy, how to do a Verkau autopsy, and I'm really excited.
0: Thank God, because I'm a dummy in this, so I definitely need this one-on-one. Yeah, so by the end of this,
1: you'll be able to do your own autopsies, Red. I'm just kidding. Please don't do this at home. (laughs) 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 I was thinking about this, like, do I need to put a disclaimer in here? I think I do need to put a disclaimer. Guys, do not perform autopsies. Don't do it. I'm just going to tell you about it because I think it's really cool, but no one go telling the police officers that I told you how to do an (laughs) autopsy. This is not what we're talking about right now. Okay, so every autopsy starts off with an external examination. Um, You're looking at the outside of the body, taking down notes. You're looking for any sort of abnormalities. You're looking for any identifiers, especially with medical examiner cases. So you've all seen those body diagrams kind of in the CSI shows where they have like, oh, this guy was shot in the head and there's a little circle on his head. That's exactly what we do. So we mark down wounds, we mark down scars, we mark down how long their hair is, what color it is, any tattoos. A lot of the times we can't read what your tattoos say, and we don't know what they are but we still have to write it down and we still have to make note of it. That's very important. Another important thing is photographs. Photography is always used in autopsy. Um, It's just a good reference to go back to. And also for identifying purposes, it's really important. It also can be used for education in cases of uh, really, really cool pathology that you don't see very often. So the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna do a Y incision. I'm sure everyone's also seen this on the CSI shows. It's literally incision from one shoulder to the middle of the chest um, to a bone called your xiphoid process, which is at the bottom of your sternum, another incision from the other shoulder to the xiphoid process, and then an incision all the way down around your belly button down to your pelvis area. This will open up the body and uh, allow us to be able to get in there without really any trouble at all. Another sort of alternative to this is that if you are a child or if you're a young woman, oftentimes we won't do the why. We'll go underneath the uh, chest, so we'll go down from the shoulder, like vertically down. We'll go underneath the nipple, um, across the chest, under the other nipple, and then come back up to the shoulder. And that kind of preserves the chest area, mostly for funeral directors. To be honest,
0: you know, I've actually never seen that incision done before. I've only ever gotten a wide incision autopsy at the funeral home. Ah. So I would have loved to to see that and work with that because, gosh, it is so hard hiding those incisions sometimes.
1: I know, they are really big incisions. And yeah, like I said, we usually do it for young women because if a young woman has died, she's probably gonna have an open casket funeral and you're probably gonna wanna make it easy for the funeral director. So after we have our body open, the wine system is open, your chest is covered by your ribs. So you actually can't see anything under your ribs. So you can't see your lungs, you can't see your heart. uh, You can't see some of your stomach or your spleen and some of your liver. So the bottom half of your body, you can actually see everything. You can see your intestines and you can see everything. But what we want to do first is get the heart out first. So we're going to take off the chest plate, which is your rib plate. So this is actually like a really fun thing that we kind of uh, do as like initiation sort of thing. (laughs) We have these branch loppers, like branch cutters. You know what I'm talking about, Red? Yeah, very non-medical device. <laughs> yeah, non-medical device gardening shears that you can buy at like, Lowe's. And that's what we use to open the ribs. So you cut along the ribs, because they're hard bone, you can't use like a scalpel to cut through them. Cut along the ribs all the way up to the clavicle bones, and that will allow you to take the whole chest plate off and expose the heart and lungs. It's really fun to see like a terrified medical student do that for the first time, to be honest.
0: Oh, totally. It's pretty metal <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> you never go through your local gardening section the same, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, so we're looking for the heart. The heart is located in the center of your chest. It's covered by a sac called the pericardium, which means around the heart. And it's literally this sac of tissue that protects the heart. So we're gonna open that up and there's your heart right there. The heart is really important for pretty much a lot of things that kill people like heart attacks, myocardial infarctions. So every everyone is different, but your heart is generally gonna be a size that can fit into the palm of your hand. So what I usually do is I literally pick up the heart with my hand, and I cut along the aorta. So that's the tube running out of the heart, bringing your blood to your body. So just like cutting underneath of that, getting the heart out up of there. It's actually a really cool experience to like hold someone's heart in your hand. That's like a that's one of the big things is like holding the heart in your hand and holding the brain in your hands i think that's like always a very cool like this used, used to be beating inside someone's chest like the very like surreal experience
0: it kind of just harkens back to indiana jones for me with kalima
1: <laughs> you know it's almost exactly like that in autopsy to be honest like you're covered in blood already and you just have this like heart in your hands and you're like passing it to the doctor you're like here you go coach <laughs> Um, alongside the heart are the lungs. So you want to get those out next. So taking out the lungs is pretty simple, pretty much the same way as the heart. You just pick them up and you cut along the vertebrae, which is your back, your, um, your spine, your back ones, right? So you just cut along the edge there, take out the lungs really easy. Um, and that's, that's all the organs that are in your chest cavity. We're done with that. Um, moving down you have your diaphragm we usually don't examine the diaphragm unless we really need to unless there's a pathology there so we just cut right through that and this is the muscle that separates your heart and your lungs from the rest of your organs and it's going to help you breathe right next i usually go for the liver just because he's so big everyone's liver is just like this huge like very very dense organ very just big so you have to get it out of the way or you can't really get to everything else the liver is located on your right side, underneath your diaphragm, above your intestines, kind of next to your stomach a little bit. Your gallbladder is also there, which is like a little green sac, which is on the underside of your liver. And your liver is going to help with, you know, filtering blood and that kind of stuff. So we're taking out the liver in a very similar way. While I'm doing the autopsy, the only tools that I'm using are a scalpel and scissors. We actually use scissors a lot of the times in autopsy. I know that scalpel is probably something that you think about when people are doing autopsies, but I have a doctor that uses only scissors. They're medical scissors, but they work the same as everyday scissors that you just like cut out all these organs. And it just helps with like not cutting yourself and not injuring yourself, to be honest.
0: Yeah, honestly, there's probably a lot more control over scissors. I- I would much have preferred that over using a scalpel any day
1: Mm -hmm. all right so we got this huge liver out um the only thing that is really cool like remarkable about livers is say if you're an alcoholic and you have cirrhosis your liver becomes this like yellow, like kind of bumpy, like kind of, I want to say like lizard skin Mm -hmm. kind of like liver. It's really, you know, it's really bad because your liver can't function anymore. It's not good for you, but it is really cool to see. And it's really cool to feel. The next organ is the spleen, which a lot of people call your second liver. It's really nothing like your actual liver. It's actually a lot smaller. Um, It also kind of fits in the palm of your hand And it's going to be located on the lateral or the outside of your stomach. So it's on the other side of your body from your liver, kind of against your ribs, tucked up under the diaphragm. And the spleen, I mean, we could talk about the spleen for a while, but basically it recycles old red blood cells and it helps your immune system. Um, So it's really not a second liver at all. All right. So anyways, your spleen is out, your liver is out, your lungs are out, your heart is out. Okay, we're moving on. So next, we're going to take out your intestines. And your intestines pretty much encompass your whole entire, I want to say belly area. When people say, oh, my belly hurts, it's oftentimes that their intestines are actually hurting them. So I would say pretty much anywhere around your belly button is where your intestines are going to be. There's three parts of your intestines. And we talked about this in a previous episode, but your intestines are full of poop. They're full (laughs) of poop. And as we know, poop is my least favorite bodily substance. So this is very, very, very important. This next step will save your life, I promise you. You have to take a hemostat, which is like a little medical clamper. It clamps off things like vessels and whatever. You need to be clamped. You take a hemostat and you clamp the intestines so no poop comes out. No poop no poop.
0: Secrets of the trade.
1: (laughs) said by somebody who's obviously made a mistake before without them. (laughs) Absolutely. And another important thing is you want to keep the stomach contents intact because your stomach is directly connected to your intestines. So you're going to put these clamps at the pyloric sphincter, which is a sphincter at the end of your stomach that goes into your intestines. And then you're going to clamp the intestines, then you can cut them make sure that there's no poop coming out. So the intestines are kind of all bunched up in your stomach. Like they're all kind of like mixed up together, like kind of like a snake, like a really, really long, like squirmy worm or squirmy snake (laughs) or something like this. Um, But when we take them out, we want to be able to examine them. So we literally have to take them out like inch by inch by inch, like in a straight line. So your intestines are 22 feet long. So, yeah, we have to take out all 22 feet. I was
0: wondering if you guys had to, like, cut them apart so you could, like, squeeze out all the dookie to check in, like, see if the intestine had, I don't know, whatever.
1: (laughs) We do have to do that, actually. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, this is in clinical autopsies mostly because in in medical examiner's autopsies, we don't have to. Right. But, yeah, so after you take out the intestines, you cut them open, like, long-wise. Like, you cut them open with like scissors and you have to like go through all the poop and like make sure there's no cancer in there Uh. make sure there's no like polyps or anything like this any necrosis yeah you have to cut them open and like clean off all the poop and like i don't do that but um well i haven't done that in a long time i should say (laughs) ugh, i just don't even want to think about (laughs) it to be honest (laughs) another important thing besides not getting poop anywhere or else I'm (laughs) going to be really mad is looking for the appendix you know, not everyone has their appendix and it's important that you like realize or distinguish if they actually do have an appendix or not. Um, I still have my appendix, but my partner does not have their appendix. Um, So I actually think about that a lot is that they don't have a little cute appendix in there. But your appendix is located on the first part of your large intestines. And it's really important to locate that because if you put in your autopsy report that they didn't have an appendix, that's for some reason, that's like the one thing that families like to bring up. They're like, oh, but they did have an appendix (laughs) and you have to for some reason and that will like if you get that wrong that your credibility is out the window with this family like they will never trust you again so the appendix is actually really really important in autopsy so after the intestines are out we're going to move to my favorite organ the kidneys the kidneys are cute little beans that kind of sit on the posterior or the back aspect of your body. So they're kind of against your back, kind of like your spleen. Um, I would say that they're, (laughs) if you go out from your uh, belly button, they're probably like right beside there a little bit on either side of your vertebrae. Um, Your kidneys are actually covered in like a thick layer of fat. Everyone has fat inside their body to varying degrees. So you actually can't see your kidneys until you cut into this fat. And I I just love them. They're so cute mm-hmm. and little. You have to take them out of their capsule. It's kind of like peeling a grape. Oh my God. If you've <laughs> ever peeled a grape before. <laughs> Um, So you like stick your fingers in there and you get it out of its little capsule and they're just so cute and little they fit right in your hand and you just cut them out. You know, it's not a big deal. But I just I love the kidneys. The one like gross thing that I do not like about kidneys is that people often have cysts on their kidneys. And these are little fluid filled sacs. And for some reason, on the kidney, they're often very, very, like, pressurized. So if you hit a cyst, you can get, like, a geyser exploding out of the body, like, into your face. It's not very fun, but (laughs) it happens way too often. It is very common. I think, I would say it's very common to see a cyst on a kidney. Oh, God. Now I have something totally new
0: to worry about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It it won't kill you. The cyst won't kill you. They're just... You know, unfortunate for whoever gets sprayed in the face during your (laughs) autopsy. Next, we're going to take out the stomach because we already took out the intestines. Along with the stomach usually comes the pancreas, which is important for insulin. The stomach is someplace we also have to examine the contents, especially in a medical examiner case. Um, Oftentimes, if there's been like a homicide or maybe like a suicide or something like this, we want to examine the contents of the stomach to look for anything suspicious. So yeah, we have to cut open the stomach and like sift through your you know, recent meal, sift through your, I don't know, SpaghettiOs or something <laughs> and uh, try to look in there and see what's going on. It's also a common site for cancer and ulcers and things like this almost to the end, right? So we got everything out of the body cavity. That's it. So we're you're clean in there. That's all you have in there. And I've taken it out of you. Um, we're moving down to the pelvic cavity. This is where your bladder and your prostate, if you have a penis or your uterus, if you have a vagina. Um, so the prostate comes with the bladder. It's attached to the bladder, actually. So it comes in one fell swoop. You just take it right out. And then the uterus lays against the bladder, but it is not attached. So you just have to make sure that you have everything there. You don't want to accidentally cut into the uterus. You don't want to accidentally cut off an ovary. Okay, so we only have a couple things left. We have the head, which is your brain, and we have the neck. Um, I think the head is like the another one of those like fun like medical student like initiation things, especially that my doctor liked to do. So, cracking open the head is a very labor intensive process. You have to peel back the scalp, right? Um, we usually try to make the incision low in the back to help out the funeral director because it is a little bit difficult to cover up, especially if you're bald. Oh,
0: my gosh. And why is everybody who- who's bald get an autopsy? I swear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we don't plan it that way. I promise. Um, so anyways, you're reflecting the scalp back onto the face and then you're taking a bone saw, which is like this crazy, like literal, like power tool saw. And you're sawing open the um, the cranium. It's a lot of bone noises and a lot of people really aren't about it the first time that they see it happen because there's a lot of cracking involved too. Once you get that off, there's your brain right there. It's just sitting there ready to be taken out this little head hole. One thing that my doctor liked to do is he would turn to the med students and be like, all right. Who wants to take out the brain? And they would literally just be like cowering in the corner, (laughs) like just not like totally not ready for holding someone's brain in your hands. Cause that's really just like, I don't know. I think it's a cool experience, but if you've never done it before, like it's extremely scary experience I'm imagining. So the brain can be taken out um, by cutting the brain stem. You literally insert your blade into the hole at the bottom of your skull and you just cut the brain stem there and you just take it right out pretty easy. After the brain's um, gone, you need to take out the rest of the neck, so the larynx and the thyroid gland. It's kind of like where your Adam's apple is. And to do that, you just reflect the skin of the chest back more, and you cut along the carotid arteries. Make sure you don't nick those. Funeral director will not be happy if you do. (laughs) So (laughs) mad. And uh, yep, you take it right out with the tongue. Sometimes you can leave the tongue in there. Uh, And then you're done. That's an Doesn't that sound easy? (laughs) So easy. (laughs) Like I said, do not try this at home. But really, there's only a couple organs that you have to be concerned about getting out during autopsy. I did kind of breeze through, so I didn't go into too much detail. Um, But that's pretty much it. That's what I do every day at my job.
0: I will say one safe way of getting to know an autopsy without doing a lot of illegal things um, is to take an anatomy class in a high school or college course because they let you do autopsies on like fetal pigs or
1: cats or other things. (laughs) That's true. Also taking a cadaver anatomy class is very, very cool because you actually get to see like a like an embalmed human cadaver and you get to see the organs up close. They're embalmed, so they're a little bit different, um, but you still get that kind of effect of seeing like an actual human autopsy, um, which I think is really cool. I think there's also probably some videos on YouTube about, you know, anatomy and and actual human anatomy that you can look at. I actually remember
0: watching a special on Netflix at one point that was doing an autopsy of uh, a morbidly obese person. It was actually just a special on morbid obesity, but they did an autopsy Mm. during it and it was super crazy. Like they showed the whole thing.
1: Let me tell you, those autopsies are something else for sure. So imagine doing all of that, except, you know, on top of you is like 200 pounds of like actual fat, like slippery, greasy grimy fat it's not fun not to mention that
0: the organs i'm sure slippery as well i mean that's what i was gonna mention earlier like i how many times have you dropped something on the ground because it's so slippery
1: (laughs) oh my gosh that's so funny actually yeah that does happen and you know we just like pick it up and it's wash it off off. (laughs) (laughs) off. (laughs) they are it's everything's yeah that's the thing about autopsies everything's bloody everything's slippery there's oftentimes poop everywhere because people don't respect me (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding i'm just kidding but it is a very very messy process um even with the end block autopsy it just blood everywhere just everywhere and it's fun it's fun What's starting to become popular now, um, maybe not as messy as a traditional autopsy are virtual autopsies. So with medical technology, you know the CT scan machine can be used to um, CT scan, dead bodies and if you are doing a medical autopsy and maybe the family has religious preferences that they don't want to have an autopsy oftentimes this is starting to be used to kind of visualize what's inside the body without actually having to cut them open and actually having to see what's inside of there which I think is really cool that's
0: incredible yeah
1: Mm -hmm. there are obviously some cons Um, you don't really get to see as much as you would with an actual autopsy but if the circumstances are dying This is definitely a really good tool that we can use now. And I did want to talk about a little bit about the benefit of autopsy. I think now autopsy is starting to become an uncommon thing. I think there's a lot of stigma behind autopsy, but it can really help out Uh, The family, the doctors, the students, anyone involved in a really beneficial way, Um, it could help with the accuracy of diagnosis. So if a doctor says this person has a disease and they die, you know, you can check out if they actually had that disease Um, so the doctor can learn and maybe in the future they can understand how to more accurately diagnose this type of pathology. It also gives you a good outcome of therapy, so if someone has cancer, they tried all these things, they didn't know if they worked, like why did they die, we can actually use an autopsy to determine if the therapy helped, how did it help, how much did it help. Um, It also reduces malpractice risk, so it, it protects physicians, which is really, really important and it's the most cost-effective post-mortem examination. Like I said, you could do a CT scan, you could run all these tests, but they're really just very expensive, and an autopsy requires one doctor and one autopsy tech, and that's about it. You can also determine any uh, hereditary or contagious diseases. You can let the family know what to look out for if someone has like a, a congenital heart disease or a genetic condition. The other people in the family can be made aware of this and they can understand what to look out for in their own health. Um, It can help with the grieving process. I think that autopsies a lot of the time give people closure. I'm not sure if you know anything about this, Red.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's not super often, but it does happen where a family will order a private autopsy after somebody passes away because they just they don't agree with what the doctors were saying. They think that there's no reason that this person should have passed away with the treatment they were receiving or whatever have you. And so yeah, we will find uh, that families will order themselves an autopsy uh, privately just so they can understand what exactly happened.
1: And of course, autopsies are also really important for medical education. These doctors, these young doctors that are going to be treating live patients, they should know how the body looks and how it works works in real life. I think that's an incredibly important thing for uh, medical students to have access to is like live autopsies. Well, I'm not going to say live. autopsies. <laughs> we actually had to fight uh, the medical students for
0: <laughs> cadavers in mort yeah, school. Yeah, <laughs> it's usually a battle. <laughs>
1: Um, Clinical research is important, and also the medical legal autopsy is key for justice, especially nowadays. There have been some uh, recent cases and, you know, very, very um, publicized death events that have happened where an autopsy was super important for finding justice for these people. Autopsies don't lie. Doctors can't lie about autopsies. Um, So having an autopsy is very, very important for this kind of thing, too.
0: Definitely. I've gotten to work with some medical examiners. Um, I'm not sure about you, Gem, but some world-renowned ones that have worked on major cases like Casey Anthony and things like that. So it's awesome like getting to know these people that have been so influential and important and key in actual justice.
1: Yeah, I actually learned how to do autopsies from the medical examiner that was on Jeffrey Dahmer's case, Whoa! which is very, very <laughs> cool. I must say myself. But yeah, so having this education about autopsy and being able to um, see the human body in this way, I think is just so cool. And I just wanted to share a little bit with you guys, even though it wasn't a real life autopsy, I didn't get to actually show you. Now you kind of understand what happens when, say, your you know, grandpa dies of cancer and the family wants an autopsy. You can kind of educate your family and kind of help them understand what that means.
0: Well, that was really awesome, Jim. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I've always been super fascinated by the uh, autopsy and and medical examiner side of things because that's what I wanted to do. So um, it's nice getting to hear from you about that. And I'm really excited to share embalming with you next
1: week. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to learn about embalming next week as well.
0: But that's going to be it for this week on Mort Mike. We'd really love to connect with you guys on socials, so please like, follow, and subscribe to us on our Facebook, our Twitter, and our YouTube at Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback, so please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site you use. And if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear and burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com.
1: I also want to thank our friend Marson for the use of this song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out his music at Marson. That's M-A-R-S-O-N music.bandcamp.com. Thanks Marson.
0: And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for some more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. It's been more Mike. Bye. Bye.